You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joining me in studio is Joe Hopkins and still via the power of the internet, Michael Chappell joining us from uh, his uh, palatial estate in uh, the, the, the central Indiana area. So, uh, guys, another week in the offseason. Mike, we've talked about this in the past, and we talked about it really at length last year when we were in the offseason for, uh, for, uh, on this Colts Blue Zone podcast that this time, you know, between, um, between quote-unquote veteran minicamp and training camp is the time where you hope not to have any of your players, you know, in the news. You're, you're, you hope not to get that call in the middle of the night that uh, David Perry has taken a golf cart in in Scottsdale, (laughs) Arizona and and run it into a subdivision. So um, right now, really, uh, for the most part, no news is good news. There's a little bit of contract stuff that we'll get into here. But uh, right now, you you really hope for the most part that uh, that nothing's happening. And that's really fortunately the case for the Colts. We'll hopefully ramp things up very soon but right now it's it's good that uh that it's kind of a quiet time in terms of uh news for for the for the franchise that you like yeah the only the only dust up we had and it wasn't his doing was the Darius Leonard and the Chipotles but no this is generally at this time of year when a GM or a coach gets a call it's either from the attorney or the police department saying uh hey we got your guy so I would think that it helps to some degree that players people are staying home a lot more and i wouldn't want to be that guy whether it's tony dungy or or jim caldwell or now frank Wright, i wouldn't want to be that guy who has to explain why at two o'clock in the morning i was out doing something stupid i don't care if you're the 90th player or you're philip rivers so fortunately players are, are are gosh it's pretty bad you say this players are behaving themselves (laughs) <laughs> we'll begin our positional breakdown series. Uh, we'll continue our positional breakdown series rather on this Colts Blue Zone podcast, looking at tight ends, offensive line, and defensive line. You can find those stories this week online at fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. Just check out the sports page there. Mike Chappell putting those together. But we will start with the news around the league this week, and there is some. Specifically, we'll talk about the latest with COVID-19 pandemic. The Colts have announced a couple changes, Mike, to the game day experience None of them really surprising to me. None of them jumped off the page like, oh, my goodness, they're doing this. But just with modified preseason schedule, which we knew was happening from the NFL, reduced stadium capacity, which we could see trending in that direction across the league with other stadiums announcing similar things, complying with CDC guidelines, social distancing. Um, There'll be uh, some tarps placed over the rows closest to the field just to keep fans away from players a little bit at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, there'll be some changes out in the concourse with food and beverage service. Um, and all, all, all in all, like I said, Mike, none of these were, were crazy changes. I don't think they, they seem to, they, they, they all made sense to me and none of them I thought were super drastic given just the state of affairs we're in right now with trying to get an NFL season. Yeah. And some of them, a couple of them are, are still pretty general reduced stadium capacity. We don't know what the local guidelines are going to be. Is it 25%? So 25% of, I don't know what the capacity is. It's at 60, 63, it's listed at 63,000. They've had as much as 66. So you're probably talking 12,000. I don't know. And then how do you, how do you fill the 12,000? Is it 
season ticket holders who want to exercise their tickets this year? Is it single game? That's And the one thing that I've wondered again, and we've talked about briefly, is the level playing field. What if, what if uh, California and in, in, in Florida are just ablaze with the virus and they have no fans in the stands? The league's okay with no fans at Miami, but fans in Indy or Green Bay or whatever. Uh, I think that's going to be yes if, if local guidelines allow it, but we don't know yet. Uh, and I do think one thing that I, I don't know if the, if the release mentioned it specifically, but I do get the impression that season ticket holders will have the option of deferring their tickets to next year without losing any 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 seats. So everybody needs to be a little bit flexible and patient. But having said that. There's a game in about five weeks, preseason game. Right, right. Flexibility and patience will be uh, will be much needed, and hopefully they're not in short supply. Because Joe, I know, if, I mean, if you're a season ticket holder who's down in one of those front eight rows, and that are already going to get tarped up, and just based on moving people around, like you move them around, you move the other people around, it, like it's a domino effect that somebody who has a decent season ticket. We'll probably get you know bumped up to the second level, bumped up to the terrace level seating if it could to keep people like separate. And then it comes into like how much are you charging for this ticket? Is it going to be the same number that you charge them for the season ticket down in the in the first level? Like th- this is not the 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 final um, the finish line of what the Colts have to do in order to have fans at the stadium. It, it's really it's really the gun to to start off the race. It's it's the starting forth that, that we got from Jim say that there are still a lot of things that need to be decided. Yeah, I'm just glad I'm not the guy making these decisions. Right. I, I don't know how you would make things fair for everybody. Um, I don't think they will be fair. I think they'll just be as good as they can make it. Um, it it's going to be difficult. And I think, honestly, fans, if we get a football season at all, should need to just be grateful for that because it's not it's not looking great right there right now with all the players catching COVID. And, you know, you just look at the college um, the college game, and you already got conferences canceling things. So uh, I, well, I, I, I certainly thought hope about it, that like, the NFL can get it together and get it together quick. I hadn't thought about it. Like, like Dave said, is the, the, the season ticket holders in those prime seats, the eight that are going to be tarped, let's say you move them up. Just Let's just say you do dominoes. You move them up the next eight seats. Well, you're displacing people in those eight seats. So every time you move somebody, you're displacing them. And then when you start talking, well, we're going to have six between, you know, families. It, it, I don't know how, I really don't know how you, it's like at a, at a big wedding when you're trying to come up with, with seating at a reception and, and you're short of tables. I, I don't know how you do it. Like, like Joe said, I'd hate to be the guy coming up with how you displace people and do this other than you just say all season ticket holders, you're 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 deferred to next year and we're going to open open this up to single games and maybe season have the first option of buying a single game i i'd love to be in the room but i'd hate to be part of the discussion on how you do it and joe you had mentioned some nfl players testing positive for covid and that's a story that came out this week per tom pelissero that says the nfl pa has announced that 72 players league were known tested positive for the virus and that's about 2.5 percent of the total rostered players in the nfl you assume that if the nfl hasn't tested every single one of the players you'd assume that 
I, I would assume that at least 95% of the players have been tested. Some guys might still be uh, at home or quarantined or sitting out or staying away from everything so far that they haven't been because they haven't needed to be yet. But at the same time, I, I think that like that, that 2.5% positivity rate um, is, is the number that we have right now. Um, so that, that's, that's at least what you referred to. I wanted to let the people know exactly what you're talking about. Um, as players, uh, negotiate with the NFL. Now, a couple of players have requested, uh, to perhaps sit out the season per, uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, some kind of opt out. And, um, and I, I've been actually doing some stories this week here at a uh, 559 CBS four about, uh, Victor Oladipo, cause that's been a whole saga about whether he's sitting out or whether he's playing uh, in the NBA restart and his contract, whether that's going to be uh, allowed or not allowed. And, and I think uh, I'll, I'll explain kind of the, the position the NBA is, and I assume the NFL will probably have a, a very similar position. If you opt out, and this is something we touched on last week with the Colts Blue Zone podcast, like how, how do you how do you deal with a player who wants to opt out? Do you just push everything in this contract back one year, or do, does he lose a year in his contract? I can't imagine that you push contracts back like you would in in my opinion, you really have to lose a year if you if you decide to opt out for just for concern about the virus. If you are a perfectly healthy guy, if you are a perfectly healthy person who wants to stay away from the danger, that is something that is your choice. And in Victor Oladipo's position, like he wants to sit out because he wants uh, to continue to to rehab his his knee or his his leg. That's what he said. But he's down practicing five on five in Orlando. He's perfectly healthy is what the NBA. This is this is a report, according to uh, ESPN, that the NBA does not want the Pacers to pay Victor Oladipo salary for the rest of the season because it sets a bad precedent. Somebody who is healthy and sitting out and therefore that they don't want players to do that. If you're healthy, you should be able to you should be playing that. That's what that's what the NBA's position is. I can't imagine, Mike, the NFL would would view things any differently. They they want the best players playing. If if you if you're healthy and you're staying out, you can do that. But you're forfeiting your salary. You're forfeiting some rights in that instance. And I I can't imagine players will be allowed to sit out purely of fear of the virus without uh, consequences toward their toward their salary, toward their contract, and toward their standing with the team. That that that's at least my perspective that I've come to really co- that I've come to over the last week. Uh, of the of really doing stories on Victor Oladipo that I think when it comes to the NFL, it's going to be very similar. If you want to sit out purely because you're a little uh, nervous about what could happen, that is going to be something that uh, does not grant you really any clemency when it comes to your contract status with your team. That, that's what we talked about briefly last week. And, I, and I've always said my, let's again, it's the, the example is Mar- I use Marlon Mack because he's one of the many, many Colts, will be free agents at the end of the season. If Marlon Mack, for whatever reason, health reasons, what he, he's PO'd at the Colts for drafting Taylor, whatever the reason, if he opts not to play, first he doesn't get paid. But in my mind, then he still owes the Colts a year. He He's under contract next year. I don't know that the league would, would look fondly on a player sitting out so that he can be a free agent next year with, with no risk of injury. So that's, we've got it in, in some of these uh, notes that, that Joe's come up with, but the, the, the issues they've got, how do you handle opt-outs? You know, will, will players be paid? Probably not, but what happens with positive tests? Once you report, do you get paid? There's, there's talk about giving players some kind of insurance money if, if they 
report and then get positive tests or the or the league or the seasons postponed or whatever. They've done all the sort of easy questions up to now. Now comes the hard part. Uh, I, I saw one we talked about uh, some of the colleges. I think my University of Miami canceled practice today because of a lot of positive tests. I saw that the Power Five, I think Sports Illustrated had the Power Five football conferences have come up with like a the guidelines. And two of them are, are what I've thought about most of all the operational things. If a player tests positive, he's out 10 days for the testing and all that stuff. But then people he's been in contact with are out two weeks. So, you know, again, which is kind of strange. So, so what you're doing is you're penalizing the people that he was in contact with more than you're penalizing the player. And this is all contingent upon then having positive tests. And I've, I've said this from the start with, with, with the NFL, is you get into camp and let, let's say they report 90 players are positive, but then a player or two test positive. Okay, then by the Power Five or the Power Conferences guidelines, T.Y. Hilton sits out 10 days, but if he's in contact with five receivers or four receivers and Ryan Kelly and a quarterback, then they're out two weeks. Th- those are those are things the league's got to determine. Do you have a COVID IR for two weeks, four weeks, whatever? Do you have expanded practice rosters to deal with this? All the hard decisions have to be made in a very, very, very short time. The Colts meet or they, they report July 28th, but rookies report next week. So they, they, they need to come up with some hard answers in a short period of time. There was another report, Joe, that you put in our story uh, for this week per Ryan Harris saying the teams are really, um, really focused more so now on practice, safety, stadium protocols. There's, quote, unquote, no plan about uh, planning to play. Right now, that that's that's still like a month and a half, you know, in the future when it comes to the regular season, a little bit less than that when it comes to the preseason. But um, if if they're still focused more on on protocols with practice and safety and getting to camp and being healthy in camp and not having anything that's at least concrete in in place for uh, for preseason and regular season games, boy, they better get to that really quickly if, if you want it to happen. Yeah, it, it's really a strange situation where, you know, if and of course money is everything but if, if if money wasn't a thing it, it doesn't make sense to play this season it just doesn't it, it, the players there's no way to not risk their health and possibly their lives same with the fans same with the coaches it doesn't make sense to play except for the money and obviously players enjoy playing and i get that but if it wasn't for the money i mean the best thing is just not play this year and i mean I would hate that more than I know you guys would hate that. We would all hate that because we love football, but it just doesn't make sense. So the NFL is going to try and trudge through it. The players are going to try and trudge through it. And uh, I I hope there's as little, I don't know, pain and suffering as possible. But I think there's going to be a few, a few bad events that happen this fall. That's that's the whole thing is it's going to come down to balancing the risk with, with dollar signs. And I don't know how you do that. I, I really don't, uh, the money, I, I, again, the money I saw they would lose with, with no fans in the stands at all was four or five billion with a B. Each team would lose a minimum of a hundred million dollars from from game day experiences. Uh, 
But again, it, it's it's money drives this. It's what's going to drive college football. Although I, 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 I it's going to be more. It's going to be easier, I guess, and that's a bad word for, for the NFL to make this hard decision because this is a this is a business, and the college football still tries to act like it's student athletes when that's long since been the case. But in ten days, in two weeks, we're going to know something. Uh, having talked to the people with the Colts. If we're frustrated, imagine imagine Frank Reich and Chris Ballard having zero idea what whether or not they're going to open on the 28th, and if they are, what's the schedule? What's the protocol? You know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, the locker room, it's six feet apart, and, and we're going to stagger meetings and players and all this, but now you're going to have players on the field. Those are the hard decisions, and whether or not there's an impasse and the NFL can simply implement I think the league has the right through the CBA to just say, no, there's going to be two preseason games. But when you get down to uh, mandatory testing and all of that, that's got to be something that the union has some agreement with. So these next two weeks are going to be really interesting to see what comes together. And I want to make one point just before we move on. And that's like well, when you guys say, and when Joe, you bring it up, say, hey, this comes down to money. This is a money issue if it wasn't uh, for money. Like, they wouldn't play this season. I think some people might listen to that thinking, oh, this is a multi-billion dollar industry where millionaires and billionaires just, you know, they're, they're the people who are, who are being affected by this. Uh, I, I, I just want to point out that there are so much more to the NFL than just the players, the owners, the millionaires and billionaires. There are hundreds of people who work at Colts headquarters um, who are from – from from the janders cleaning out the closets all the way up to Chris Ballard in, in his executive suite. You know, there 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 are people at stadiums everywhere from Philip Rivers down on the field throwing a hopeful touchdown pass or two to T.Y. Hilton this year to the guys sitting out in the um in the in the parking lot who who's who's helping to park cars, you know? Like there there are millionaires and billionaires that are going to be affected this year, yes. But there are people, just regular people, who are living paycheck to paycheck that are going to be affected by by this. When it comes to when when we say money will drive this thing, yes, money does drive this thing. It drives this thing for the people who are who are who are rich when it comes to football, and it comes to people who are who are like I said, making making their money from paycheck to paycheck, money wise. So it, it, I I just want to throw that out there before we move on. When we say things are if things are money driven, I, I don't want that to come with you know a, a super negative. Um, negative lens that we're looking at it through like, oh, just these rich guys who are who, who are trying to get more money when they come out to play and are throwing caution to the wind. Well, you know, there there's a lot of guys who make very good salaries who are in the rooms making these decisions, but those decisions impact a whole lot more than them. Sure. Yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't when I said and money I didn't think you did. No, I didn't yeah, think you yeah. did. I just wanted to make it clear. Not necessarily a greed thing, but, you know, just uh, I mean, say they can't have any fans in the stands. Well, what happens to the people who sell tickets? You know, it's, yeah. it's going to impact a lot more than just the people making, you know, six figures, right. seven figures. So that that's I'm glad you pointed that out, because well, uh, and, 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 and imagine when you start this thing branches out. Think about the the, the 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 cut in finances for all the hotels around the city and all, all the places, all the cafeterias and restaurants who really they look they, they need these eight to ten to twelve games to really increase their budget. And like you said, the vendors, I, I know people who work the vend the vending places in the stadium. And this is when they really make their big bucks. So it's it reaches everywhere and I you know 
a lot of us want this for our own personal reasons and the entertainment, and this is what we do. This impacts so many people beyond Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and, and Philip Rivers and the players. It, it's, the, it's the little guys that will have a hard time coming back if there's no football or very limited football this season. All that before we uh, lead into our discussion that there uh, are some uh, some big monies being thrown around this week in the NFL, and that is the Titans have locked down their running back Derrick Henry reported four year, fifty million dollar contract that includes uh, more than twenty five million uh, in guaranteed money. Um, that average of about twelve and a half million dollars per year, guys. When I saw it, I thought that that was very very reasonable, especially considering the fact that. Uh, it's his. He becomes the NFL's fifth highest paid running back with this contract. You, you have guys like Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, and even David Johnson. He's not even the highest paid running back here in the AFC South. This is Derrick Henry. David Johnson makes thirteen point one million dollars in on average per year, and Derrick Henry's only at twelve and a half million. So, Joe, if you told me that this this Derrick Henry contract was going to come in in twelve and a half million. I think that's pretty team friendly that, that you can lock him up for four years uh, at that number. That's that's not nearly as gaudy as I thought it could have possibly been. Yeah. And I think a big part that played into that is um, Henry's lack of a receiving role. You, you, all the other running backs you name there are big time pass catchers catching 60, 80 McCaffrey, 100 balls a year. They just don't use Henry in that fashion. So. I think in that way, it helped keep his money down where he didn't go, oh, I'm a wide receiver too. I'm catching 80 balls. I need 15, 20 million. Pay me like a receiver. I think that probably played into the role. Um, But, you know, the Titans locked down Henry. They locked down Tannehill. They got a lot of money committed to these two guys over the next four years or so. So we'll we'll have to see how it works out. You guys know how I feel about paying running backs. I do. I wasn't necessarily um, – I was kind of happy when I saw this. I was like, all right, go ahead and handcuff yourselves, Tennessee. And I was looking at that because, you know, that sort of brings us to, to Marlon Mack. Uh, I saw a list of the potential free agent running back class next next year, and most people said it, and, and Marlon Mack. I mean, he was like almost an afterthought. So what kind of an extension – I think the top ten – if you're at the top ten running back, number ten, it's like $6 million a year. So Marlon Mack, four years, twenty-four million. I don't know, uh, but I think if you're if you're not that upper elite running back, boy, you take what you can get and sort of grin and bear it because I, I hate to say that no, no, it, it's true. The NFL has devalued the running back. It really has. It's if if the Colts taken Taylor, who's okay, unique talent. They tell us. If that's not telling you they're taking every four years, we're going to look to replace our running back. Nothing, that, that's what it tells me. And, and Joe, like I, I'm thinking about these guys because I'm in a similar situation there. I, I'm a little bit older than than most of these guys who are looking for their uh, even their second contract. I'm older than all these running backs. Let, let's be straight. I'm, I'm not in, in my early 30s, but like they grew up just like I grew up in an age of like really a prime age in the NFL of running backs like guys who are at the forefront of their teams um, across the league, guys like Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders, um, guys like LaDainian Tomlinson and Marshall Falk and Edger and James when even you got into the early 2000s. Guys, um, and, and Mike might be able to tell this more, I don't know if those guys were the most the, the highest paid players on their teams. I still think quarterback was up there. might have been number one. Like I, I just I didn't look it up before I came in here. But 
at the, at the same point, I know that they were paid a higher percentage of the salary cap at that time than they are now. So it, it, it's it's weird. You grow up, you try to be the running back because like that's the star, that's the guy. Now, now the running back is no longer the star, as you said. Like there's there's guys that you find even it. I saw the same thing that Mike did with with the list of free agents next year. There's also a list uh, I, I saw in the same breath a, a list of guys who are going to be drafted. Next year, guys that will be rookies next year in the NFL that are incredibly talented guys you want on your team. Guys like Travis Etienne of Clemson, who I would take now on my team uh, in a heartbeat, um, especially at a rookie salary level. Like it's it's hard for running backs in the NFL right now. It is different for running backs in the NFL than it was just 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes from the evolution of the passing game and you know, they've year after year, it almost seems like they make it easier for these receivers to get open as far as pass interference and whatnot. And, you know, I I would really like, I'm surprised the CBA hasn't pushed this more, but I think to make things more fair for running backs, their rookie contracts, they need to make more money. I, I would almost argue maybe you tie in the average career length per position into the rookie contracts because these running backs once they get to their second contract, they're almost looked at as damaged goods. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I could see some kind of a deal where, okay, if you're most valuable in your first four years, maybe as a rookie, you get a higher contract. If you're a top, I don't know, first, second, third round running back, something like that. It's messy. But I, I certainly feel for these running backs. Some of them are one of the most talented players on their team, but because they're a running back, they're not going to get paid like it. Well, and there's no better example than Marlon Mack. This guy is—he's gotten better every year. He's—he's he's 24. This isn't a Derrick Henry. I think is 27. So you've got a running back like Marlon Mack who's getting better. We've not seen the best of him, and it's it, there's more there's there's a better chance he won't be back next year than he will be back. So again, if it's one of those old things, you know, mom, don't let your kids grow up to be a running back. Or if you do, let him realize he's going to play four years and then they're going to throw him out on the trash heap. So it, it's, it's, I go back to the Edron James time. He, he was here seven years. Now, seven years is a lifetime for a running back. It really is. But they got rid of Edron James when he was, he had just rushed for 1,500 yards. And he went to Arizona. And I think he rushed for 1,000 yards that first year, I think it was. But they get, it's like Bill Pullian said, you'd rather get rid of a running back a year too soon than a year too late. Edron James was still a pro bowler, uh, borderline all pro, when the Colts decided not to bring him back. More news in the NFL this week. The Washington football team has announced they will no longer be called the Redskins. Um, heck, by the time you guys listen to this podcast, whenever it is, the, the final name change might actually be out there or who they, they intend to, because I think they keep pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. They're not announcing anything yet. Maybe, heck, maybe it's been, it happened in the last 20 minutes while, while we've been on this podcast. I don't know. Joe, look it up real quick. Make sure the, the Redskins don't have a new name. But um, at, at that same point, at the same token, there, there's been a lot of things thrown out there, Mike, for, uh, for possible name changes to the Redskins. Um, there's a lot of people uh, either around the league or fans or just uh, around the news media in particular who, who are happy for this change. Or Do you think anything uh, that you've heard or seen kind of has a leg up right now, or could you uh, see a lot of different possibilities for where Washington wants to go with the new name? 
it seems like there's a big push for the red tails. Isn't that the Tuskegee Airmen? Am right. Not- that's the Nick. Yeah. The nickname for the all black fighter pilot unit in world uh, war two, which, which is fine. I mean, the monuments, I don't know. Somebody was pushing Washington generals. Isn't that the team that the Globetrotters used to beat the hell out of? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I, so I don't, I don't think I'd go there, but, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how it's taken all this. Finally, this, and not only, but all the sponsors and the FedEx people to say, Hey, Come on. Uh, so, so, yeah, I, I'm interested in it, and I have very little hope that's, that it's going to make much sense because they, they've mishandled this from the start. I'll, I'll say this. like it, it's This is, again, we'll go back to our money discussion, money driving things. It, this has always been a money thing. Like sure. Now that they have pressure from people like FedEx or big money sponsors of the team that have come to Daniel Snyder and been like, dude, like, yeah. let's do something like that. That's what has changed this. Daniel Snyder has never felt pressure in the past to change anything because it did not hurt his income at all. It did not hurt his wallet. And so like, I, I understand that position as, as a, um, as an owner, I'm not saying it's the right position, but I understand the position that it, you don't want to undergo this massive cost to yourself. If there is not a, if there is not a, um, a financial, uh, detriment to you for not doing so like that that is a pure business decision like if you take ethics and morality completely out of it and, and that's like th- that's where a lot of these billionaires have like that's how why they're billionaires because they've made decisions in the past strictly based on what makes them money and there was no financial reason for daniel snyder to change now there is Joe, anything that you see from uh, the nicknames or anything else you wanted to add to that? No, you're completely right. I mean, Nike, for goodness sake, pulled all their Redskins gear off their, you know, they're no longer selling any Redskins gear. And I'm pretty sure that's who makes the NFL's jerseys. So uh, at that point, I'm not sure how much choice he had. Um, Mike mentioned the Red Tails. I also saw the Red Wolves, which I thought might be kind of cool. The Warriors has been thrown out there, which is kind of boring. We already have. The Golden State Warriors. The thing with the Warriors is like, you know, the Redskins had that like they had the what's it called? The spear on the side of their helmet a couple years ago when they had oh, that. So, so, so like you can go straight that. to that. And you can have some something already in there already. Yeah. So. And, you know, Washington Warriors. The w, it sounds kind of nice. I, I think I mean, just about anything would be better than Redskins at this point. <laughs> I would go with any of those. Um I kind of like the Swamp Hogs. I know it has nothing to do with Washington, but I would just love to see a football team named the Swamp Hogs and got a big mean-looking boar on the side of their helmet or something. Well, that's also, you know, you know that's a throwback, of course, to the, the really the glory days uh, of the Washington football oh, the team. the Hogs. The 80s and 90s. Exactly, the Hogs, that offensive line that they had. Um, like led by exactly like there's still guys that wear that in, in the stands in Washington. So I wouldn't be surprised to see us swamp hogs, red hogs, whatever you order, just the hogs, whatever you want. And they say Washington, you know, that they call it the swamp. Trump was saying drain the swamps. They can call them the swamp. swamp swamp There you go. Washington swamp. You you heard it here first on the Colts (laughs) blue zone podcast, even before you heard it out of the mouth of Daniel Snyder, anyone with the Regstons, it is the swamp hogs that we are fully behind and fully endorsing for this 2020 NFL season and, of course, well beyond. <laughs> so let's move on from that to our discussion of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, our positional breakdowns continue before training camp begins. Our Mike Chappell is writing several stories every week leading up to training camp, breaking down the team position by position. This week, three different stories will be online. we got tight end, offensive line, and defensive line, breaking down all three of those, excuse me, all three of those positions. We'll start with the tight ends. 
Um, two people are really most likely three kind of locks to make the roster. Certainly two between Jack Doyle, the pro bowler and Trey Burton, who they signed as a free agent this off season. You get Mo Ali Cox, Joe, who was on the roster as well last year. And after that, there's a lot of names, uh, Farad Green, Matt Langle, Ian Bunting, Xavier Grimble, who, who are really just names and camp bodies. And Hey, if any of them super impresses, then maybe you have to take a look at them trying to figure out how they'll fit into a 53 man. But um, it, it's really those first three that that we're focusing on during any discussion about the Colts uh, tight ends. Yeah, I mean, it, those three guys, like you said, are pretty much locks. I'll be interested to see how Trey Burton's rehab is going with his hip. Um, hopefully he'll be able to get out there and get some work done. I almost wonder, we were kind of talking last week about how many of these running backs do they keep and the fullback Roosevelt Knicks. They usually keep four tight ends on the roster. Maybe they go Doyle, Burton, Alleycox, and then keep Roosevelt Knicks. And if they have to, they can throw them out there as a, you know, blocking tight end type guy. But I mean, uh, like you said, the guys after that are just a bunch of names. I don't really see a ton of depth here. Like we have in years past. Yeah. Mike, when you take a look at the the tight ends, or well, what is it that you, uh, that you wrote about that you see? Yeah, I, I do think Roosevelt Knicks is going to take one of your spots. Instead of carrying four, you'll carry three in a fullback. Or, you know, do, do they carry Roosevelt next? I realize they brought him here for a purpose. We'll see. But uh, like like Joe's mentioned, the breakout player, it needs to be Trey Burton. Uh, he, he needs to get back. To, I was looking two years ago in Chicago, 54 catches, 569, and six touchdowns. He needs to, he needs to be able to stretch the field, uh, sort of like Eric. Ebron did. Uh, that's a high bar for what Ebron set here in the in the time he was here. But uh, Jack Doyle is just—he's Jack Doyle. I mean, it's the one thing I noticed. I, I went back and I mentioned in the story is he came here in thirteen as a waiver wire pickup from Cle- uh, from uh, Tennessee. He's outlived Fleener, Dwayne Allen, and Ebron. And, and who's the, who's the one that's gotten two contracts? It's Jack Doyle. Uh, Beanstalk, baby. <laughs> it's, it's. I'm telling you that you, 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 you need a Jack Doyle or two on your roster. Now you can have too many. You can have too many collar guys who just do things the right way. But if I'm starting a team, there's always going to be a spot for a Jack Doyle or for this Jack Doyle because all he does is produce. Yes, he's a good locker room guy and all that. But I'm talking more football, and he's everything you want. He, he was the first. He was Chris Ballard's first player to resign when he first got here in March, whatever it was. So uh, Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle, can he make a third Pro Bowl? I don't know. Uh, Philip Rivers has always been tight end friendly because he's had some pretty good tight ends. But uh, I like this group only if Trey Burton comes through. If not, this is, might be one of the weakest areas on the team. So that's two guys that we've kind of analyzed a little bit, but perhaps if we look at the most to prove, the guy with the most to prove in this group, Mo Ali Cox could certainly be in the discussion uh, for, for that. And I think you can make a case for for a Trey Burton for sure. But uh, Mo Ali Cox is a guy the Colts brought in very similar to in in the lines of other guys who have been in the past, a college basketball player who they're Eric trying Swope. to see if they work out. Right. Exactly. Eric Swope was that. Marcus Pollard, if I'm not mistaken, was Correct. a college basketball player as well. So this is in, in a long line of basketball players to, to see if they pan out as, as NFL tight ends. 
uh, Mike, we we've seen the uh, the potential of what a Mo Alley Cox can do. I look back to the Oakland Raiders game two years ago when he makes that incredible one-handed turnaround, twist and catch in the end zone. He described it as oh, just going up to get a rebound. You know, you usually go up to get a rebound with one hand. It's no it's no big deal. Well, you better start making it no big deal this year. It, it's like oh, Mo Alley Cox with another catch because. It's a big deal now if Mo Cox makes a catch or a couple catches and certainly catches a touchdown. That's got to turn from not a big deal to I've f- turned from a big deal to oh just just another week for Mo Cox. And well, yeah, tw- tw- twenty six games, fifteen catches for two twenty six, and two touchdowns. So yeah, it's it, it's great to have a a developmental player, but at some point you need you need to to do more than just be the really good blocking tight end. You need to be a force in the passing game. And I believe last year is dealing with a broken thumb. Correct me right. if I'm wrong, but I, I'm, I would imagine that would impact your ability to catch the ball quite a bit, unless you're going to catch every ball with the, uh, with your good <laughs> right. hand. But right. you know, this That's is fair. really more of a kind of a make or break season for Ali Cox and the team. He needs to impress this year to get another contract and stick around or get a contract, a good contract somewhere else. And, and right. it's, it's tough because like even a guy like Eric Swope, like he, he continued to show promise that last yeah. year that he was with the team. I think he even caught a touchdown in like three straight games uh, when he, he was called into duty as really replacing uh, like he jumped up up the depth chart with some guys injured. I think Jack Doyle was probably one of them, obviously, but uh, like you, you really do need to make quite, quite the impact. I think to, to be able to, to solidify yourself, Mike, a future in the NFL this year, if, if you're Mo Alley Cox. Yeah. Swope's a good guy to, to compare him to. I mean, different tight ends, obviously. Right. I, I saw Swope, but boy, if he could stay healthy, he yeah. gave you that hybrid tight end to get down the field and really give people fits. But yeah, there's a make or break. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because again, if you don't see that growth out of Molly, maybe he's got the ceiling. But at the same time, he's still learning and growing in his position. But at some point, you either have to say, yes, this is the guy, or we have to find somebody younger and more complete. We apologize if you're listening and you're hearing drilling in the background right here. So apparently, we are taking apart the Fox 59 CBS 4 studio. Perhaps we, we are perhaps we are adding another uh, affiliate. Uh, we're making room for uh, for one of the other TV stations uh, in the near future. That that is not breaking news. That is not uh, don't don't take that to the bank. <laughs> but uh, that, that's it, my, that's. That's the work being done on my Beach Grove estate. There you go. That that's yeah. Mike is uh, <laughs> adding another wing to uh, to uh, to his estate out there in Beach Grove. There so you go. yeah, I, I have an over under question for you guys. Yeah, Jack Doyle's career high receiving touchdowns in a season is five. Over under this year, we talked about how tight end friendly um, Mr. Mr. Rivers is, and he's already gotten out there with Jack to throw some passes. Over under five touchdowns. I'll go first. I'm going under. Um, I think that I th- I think that there will be uh, more balls to go around among the receivers, and I also think Trey Burton is going to be a guy they look to in the red zone, much in the similar vein they look to um, uh, Eric Ebron the past couple of years. I-, I think that that Burton's the guy that can you can take advantage of his talents in that area. So I still think Jack catches a couple, especially around the goal line. He's really good around the goal line because you bring him in as a blocker. He's a great blocker. Um, he can shed a guy and just get open right behind the defensive line there. But I, I think five is probably the ceiling for him this year. That's my thought. Yeah, when you said that, I'm starting to put it in my head that five, I'm going to say over, but I'm thinking 
Okay, T.Y. will be, you hope, eight, nine. You hope more, but what, what's his career high? Is it eight? Seven, seven? I thought it was. Seven. I thought seven was well, I'm going to give T.Y. eight. I'm going to give Pittman six. I'm going to give Paris Campbell five. And then I'm going to give Burton five. And then I'm going to give Naheem Hines a couple. If Rivers gets his 25 that he needs to get, I can see Doyle getting his six. That's a good. That's a good question. I'll, I'll take over, and I won't. I won't be real ha- optimistic about it. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll come up with an over under for every position here. Okay. Right. Good deal. So, so we'll move. Well, before we move on, the question: Do we want to swap this position group with any other in the AFC South? Um, not that we're uh, head over heels with this Colts tight end group after Jack Doyle, especially a lot of question marks. But I don't know if any other in the AFC South is all that spectacular either. Yeah. I mean. You look at Tennessee, Smith is talented, but he's not. I wouldn't say he's better than Jack Doyle because yeah. um, they lost Delaney Walker. Maybe in years past, he would have said Tennessee. But, yeah, I'm sticking with the Colts. Yeah, and again, so much. A lot of positions, if, if this guy comes through, if Trey Burton is what they hope, what Frank Reich had in Philly for his first year in Chicago before he got hurt, uh, Burton will be a good addition. We move on to the offensive line, our second of three positions that we're breaking down this week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Follow us online on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for Colts news throughout the week. Looking at the offensive line, left to right, it's the same as we had last year. The same, uh, same guys, Anthony Costanzo, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Mark Glowinski, Braden Smith. Behind them, at uh, looking at depth, you have Raven Clark, who's really the only guy on the roster who has any backup experience at left tackle, or any left tackle experience, I should say. Uh, Jake Eldrenkamp, Javon Patterson, who they drafted last year, missed all of last year with an ACL tear. The rookie this year, Danny Pinter out of Ball State. Chaz Green, Travis Vorknall, Carter O'Connell, Cedric Lang, Andrew Donald, Brandon Hinter. Um, you figure, Mike, that you want to carry somewhere between eight and ten guys on the offensive line. Uh, so you'll see a couple of those guys uh, behind the uh, obvious starting five uh, get into the final 53. Um but at least you know on the front, the first five, it, it's very comforting that uh, those those five you know for sure and come the first game, um, injuries notwithstanding, that's going to be your unit and you're going to feel pretty good about that unit. Yeah, we were talking how rare it was to have all five guys start. I did a lot of research and I finally got it confirmed through a live sports bureau. There's only been two teams since the Mur- or since the 1978 when it went to 16 games. Only two teams have had the same five guys start in back-to-back seasons. It's like the 2002, uh, who the heck was it? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it. Chiefs? Uh, the Chiefs and then the 08, 07, 08 uh, Giants. Uh, these guys won't start all 16 games again just because it's injuries happen. But the fact that they can, I think Andrew Luck had 42 starting lineups in his 86 teams. That, that's ridiculous. So I hope people uh, appreciate what they saw last year. And on top of that, Costanzo, Klowinski, and I think Braden Smith all were on field for all snaps last year. They, they only missed the team only missed like forty snaps from the offensive line. It was crazy. It was just crazy. You know that your your best backup tackle, Raven Clark, didn't play a snap. So uh, I look at this list in what. Joe puts it out here, and it's, this is really a tough area. Breakout player and who has the most to prove? I have trouble answering that. Uh, who has the most to prove? Probably Raven Clark. 
because you, you know he's got to he's got to be your swing tackle. But breakout player, I, I who maybe you have an idea who's who's the breakout player? Uh, Braden Smith, although he's played pretty well for two years. I don't know. If I had to pick somebody for breakout player, I might say Danny Pinter because yeah. I think there's a chance he gets in there and plays, and he's a rookie. So if he gets there in there, plays well, I guess you would classify that as a breakout. Um, but you're right. This group is so solidified already. It's hard to call anyone of the starters a breakout player. They're already all pretty good and already veterans. I'm not sure how much better they're going to get. Here, here's my optimistic take. I, I optimistically hope we can call Anthony Costanzo a breakout player this year. I think everybody here in this uh, on this uh, podcast appreciates him. But I would love to see him make a Pro Bowl because he, he's had a great career and he is certainly one of the best left tackles in the league. And maybe it would shut up everyone who is the uh, Anthony Costanzo hater that uh, that somehow responds to me on Twitter when I make a good <laughs> point about Anthony Costanzo. Like, oh, Anthony Costanzo, pro football focus, is offensive lineman of the week. Oh, he sucks. No, no, he doesn't. No. Like, I know the pro football focus numbers, like, they can definitely be uh, questionable, dubious at times if you just look at the game tape. Uh, but I think those are that's the that's the exception rather than the rule. And if you see him repeatedly near the top of the league year after year in in what in what pro football focus rates him and just in terms of how many sacks he gives up from a left tackle position, I, I think that Anthony Costanza is one of the most underrated offensive linemen in the league. I think he can continue to get better. Like we've talked about uh, earlier this year in the podcast when we were talking about what happens with Anthony Costanza. Like you look at other offensive tackles around the league and they still are playing well into their late thirties. The Eagles just re-signed Jason Peters again this week. He's going to play guard for them instead of tackle at like 39 years old, however old he is. But you got a young thirties, Anthony Costanzo right now who can still in his game and still even better than what he's done in the past. I am. I'm optimistically saying, and Anthony Costanzo is my breakout player for the Colts offensive line this year. You know, a public appreciation. Yes, exactly. I I, I'm afraid that he, the guy that the fans, I think those of us in the media, I think we, we share your opinion. I, I think his crime is he's not, he's probably not top 10. Maybe he's a top 12 or 13 tackle. Maybe he is top 10, but at, at the tail end of 10, nothing wrong with that. I think he's the guy that fans are not going to appreciate until he's gone. And you put somebody else in there and they say, oh boy, Costanza wouldn't have done that. You know, again, I don't think when I look at Colts left tackles, I still think Tariq Glenn is probably the best left tackle they've had. You talk about underappreciated. He only made three Pro Bowls. Costanzo's not as good as Tariq Glenn, but AC's pretty darn good. And I still think that we talked, was it last week or two weeks ago? I still think that was the biggest offseason move they made. He he or Rivers, you can argue that. Because if Costanzo's not back, then what? So I think they should. The fans should embrace the fact that he's here for at least two more years, and then we'll see. But he's one of those guys that you just come to take for granted until he's not here. I hope he makes a Pro Bowl, like you said, because that's the one thing missing on his uh, on his resume. All right, my over under for offensive line: thirteen games with the starting five. Over under. Under. I'll take the over. I'll, I'll be optimistic. Your Dave is taking over. Mike, you said under? The odds. Yeah, just the odds of, of somebody's going to get rolled up uh, in, in, and be out, you know, get the high ankle sprain and be out four weeks. 
I hope not. And if it is, I, I there's a couple of guys I hope it's not that that happens to. So so uh, I'll say under just just because the odds are that somebody's going to get hurt. A question that we proposed a lot last week in our um, in these positional breakdowns was: Is the Colts starter three years from now on the roster? And when you look at the offensive line, you certainly say left guard, center, uh, probably right guard, and right tackle. You hope that the starter for three years from now is on the roster. The only question is really left tackle and Costanzo, and how is how is he going to feel? And what we talked we talked to him like after uh, after the deal was announced with two years, he said, "Hey, if I'm if I'm going to sign one year, I might as well sign two." have a little bit of security and say, hey, if I'm going to sign another year in the NFL, it's going to be with the Colts anyway. That's what Costanzo told us. So um, it really comes down to him and what, what he wants to do. And uh, if if two years go by and Anthony Costanzo is still feeling good and still feeling healthy and still thinks that there is a ceiling to, to go after, uh, then then he's going to be that guy. But right now, I don't know if you'd be comfortable saying, hey, left uh, Raven Clark's your left tackle of the future. Don't worry. You just need a couple more years of seasoning. So if it's not going to be Costanzo, I don't think that the uh, the backup left tackle or the new left tackle, Mike, would be on the Colts roster right now. No, the the, the new tackle in three years is, would be like a sophomore at Alabama. I mean, <laughs> I, I, we'll take that. Yeah, really. Yeah. I don't know who it is, but I'll take him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That, that's a good question. Is And, and the, the answer is you have to say no. Costanzo could change that. And, again, I think if he's playing well, and healthy, I think he might want to come back. I'll give you a question that, that we don't have on here. If, if if you had to lose one of your starters for a month, would you rather lose Costanzo or Quentin Nelson? That's mean. Damn it, Mike. I'd rather lose... Uh, Knowing Quentin well, Nelson is probably your best offensive lineman, and maybe by that one, maybe one of your top three players on your team. Quentin, forgive me, uh, and I hope that you don't listen to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, um, or at least that not not this one specifically. <laughs> I hope you listen to all the others, but I'm going to have to go with Quentin Nelson. I have to because uh, I, I I don't want uh, I I don't want uh, Anthony Costanzo at left tackle to be gone for a month. Yeah, I I can just see Philip Rivers getting smashed into the turf by an edge rusher time and time again. I I got to go Nelson too because he's not he's not blocking the you know Yannick Ngwakwe's if he stays with the Jaguars or the top pass rushers in the league. So I got to go with Costanzo. And I, another part of that is I for some reason feel better about Danny Pinter than I do LaRaven Clark. So I'd rather see Tight Pinter get in there. What's that? By then, seen not not really having seen Pinter at this level at all. I I, I agree with you. Yeah, so I'd rather see Pinter get in there and see what he can do. You know, you put Pinter between Costanzo and Ryan Kelly. That's a pretty good spot to be in. So uh, I'm gonna have to go Nelson, but that's a tough yep. one, Mike. If you would swap this position group for any other in the AFC South, you don't know football. So uh, that, that's that's not going to be a top discussion. Titans right, would, have a good you, O-line, but I wouldn't say it's better. Would you swap this offensive line for Deshaun Watson? Yes. Ooh. 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 See, see where we can go with this? The wormhole right. we can go down? <laughs> oh, yes. That's, uh, but, but we won't. We'll move on to the defensive line. Uh, the Colts starters, Justin Houston, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and Kamoko Ture. Behind them, backing things up, you got guys like Al-Kadeen Muhammad, Danico Autry, Ben Banigou, Sheldon Day. 
um, Tyquan Lewis, Robert Windsor, and my guy, Kendall Coleman. Joe, did you write Justin Coleman here just to screw, uh, just, uh, mess with me? Yes, we'll go with I did that on purpose just okay. to mess with you. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Completely on purpose uh, and intentionally. The disrespect that Joe has shown Kendall Coleman, I'm going to hold this paper throughout the rest of the season, and I'm going to show it to him when he has 10 sacks uh, at, at the end of the year. My guy, rookie, free agent, if, defensive end. If he gets 10 sacks, I will eat the piece of paper. Yes, I'll hold on to it then. <laughs> Breakout player besides Kendall Coleman, uh, Mike Chappell, who do you think uh, could have a breakout year uh, when you're analyzing this Colts defensive line? Ooh, breakout season. I, I think that eliminates a Justin Houston because he's had. I Probably mean, so. Un- unless he has 18 sacks and then God love him. DeForest Buckner. I, I would say to Ray, uh, I think he's, of course, he's got the furthest to go to have, you know, eight or nine sacks as a breakout season. And they need Kamoko Teray to have eight or nine sacks. They really do. So I, I would say Teray, and I, and then I would say maybe Banagu, but Teray's my choice. Joe, I think he's the obvious choice just because of how he started yeah, last I year. I mean, uh, a few podcasts ago, we were talking about breakout players for the whole team, and yeah. all of us wanted to go with Teray. So I think all of us feel like if Teray can stay healthy, he's going to be productive and get to the quarterback this year. Now, if you look at who has the most to prove among this group, I think that you could make a case for – for a lot of them, like for, for a whole lot of these guys that they have something to prove. You can say Justin Houston keeps working his way up in age. Does he still have it? DeForest Buckner, new contract for him. Got to prove that you're worth all that money. Uh, Kamoko Ture proved that last year at the beginning of the year wasn't a fluke. Um, Danico Autry proved that last year fluke and that you get back to your form of more like two years ago. Um, Tyquan Lewis, a ton to prove a second round pick from a couple years ago. And I'll make the case that he probably has the most to prove out of everybody on this team, because he was a guy that you drafted, you drafted, was it two years ago? Second and he had like, he was, he was injured for a while. He came on at the end of the year and really showed a lot of promise last year. What, what's going on? Like did, nothing. Uh, yeah. It, it showed absolutely nothing to you. So 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 what's happening? Second round pick, uh, Tyquan Lewis. Were were you a fish out of water trying to really get used to the interior? Even though that's something that we that Chris Ballard has said that they were really optimistic that he could play the interior. Maybe he moves back to the uh, to the edge this year and is is a little bit better, is a little bit more comfortable there. I don't know, but I, if you want to solidify a place on this roster in the future, Tyquan Lewis really needs to step up this season. Or in the present. I mean, he might not make the team. You look at the right. depth you got there. I mean, the the True. starters and their first backups are pretty much accounted for. If Tyquan Lewis makes it, he's going to be the eight or ninth guy. Well, we talked to Chris Ballard either at the end of the season or at the combine, whatever it was, and and someone mentioned Tyquan Lewis, and he said, make a break season. Whenever your GM is talking about a second-round pick saying, now's the time, uh, the most to prove – Tyquan Lewis does, uh, but to me, it's still it's still gonna be Buckner. Whenever you give a guy, whenever you give up the thirteenth pick and then you give him eighty some million dollars, he can't be he can't be Grover Stewart. He's got to be as close to Aaron Donald as you can get without being Aaron Donald. So I think he's got so much to prove because what was it? Eberflus said he, he's he's the engine that drives our defense. So as much as this is it for Tyquan Lewis, either cut bait or move on, DeForest Buckner has got to be more than just good. Joe, do you want to make 
a case for anyone else besides Buckner or Lewis? No, those two. I mean, uh, we've talked about them all. Buckner, Lewis, and Teray are probably the top three, and all for different reasons. So I, I think both those, all three of those guys have a lot to prove. I'll probably go Lewis just because if Buckner doesn't prove it, he still goes home with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So personally for him, he's already got the money. Um, The fans want to see him prove it, and so do his coaches. But, yeah, I'll go with Tyquan Lewis just because he might not be in the league in another year or two if he doesn't prove something. If we look at who's going to be cut from this unit, you you could see somebody cut that gets a chance somewhere else. Like, if the Colts decide to cut Tyquan Lewis, maybe the Jets sign him like they've signed every every other single Colt uh, free agent. Who's, who's he really been. has Quincy Wilson vibes, doesn't all he? All over. Quincy Wilson, Terrell Basham, Henry Anderson, all, all those vibes just just emanating from uh, from Tyquan <laughs> Lewis right now. But uh, if you want to keep a full second unit, you keep eight. Uh, maybe you keep, uh, boy, once you say maybe you keep nine, then you always start taking away from other places. If they take, if they keep more than eight on the defensive line, that would be pretty surprising. But um, you'll, you'll probably cut a guy like a Robert Windsor, who you drafted this year, and have him on the practice squad. Um, there's going to be some real good battles, I think, um, for uh, like backup defensive end. Al Kadeen Muhammad, I think, is better than some people realize, but uh, he's going to have a real good battle, I think, with um, with my guy Kendall Coleman for. For, uh, for that spot down there. You, you figure guys like Houston, Buckner, Stewart, Ture, um, uh, Banigou, yeah. and Sheldon Day. Those are six real locks. Uh, and after that, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say he's he's close. I didn't want to put him quite in the same position as everyone else, Joe, above him. Could you imagine, though, thir- third and ten, you got Houston, Buckner, Autry and then Teray coming after the quarterback. I'd be right. pretty good about that defensive yep. line. If they, good. if they if they keep eight, the guy I see cut is Taekwon Lewis unless he shows something. And this offseason has not helped him. I think he's a guy that needed to kind of show during the offseason work that, you know, I have got my act together. He'll be out there in, in July 28th, we hope, and sort of playing catch-up because, again, I think some of these guys – I agree with with uh, Dave. Uh, Muhammad is you want to sort of dismiss him. He's he's a solid rotational player. He gives you good good against the, the run and and he comes up with good pressure. So barring injury, this is a really really deep group. Would you swap this position group for any other in the AFC South? And I must say, let, let let's give the Jaguars Yannick Ngakwe. Um, even though he's kind of very much uh, on the fence right now. I would be very tempted to swab this position group with the Texans just so you could have J.J. Watt uh, on your roster because I think he's a he's a special player. Yeah. There is... but, then, but, but, then, but then you're going for quality over quantity. You're going for the big – you're, 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 you're going for what Houston is, and that's star players over – you know, depth in a better unit. You are I correct. like this group. I like this group. I'd have to go with the Colts as well. I would say JJ Watt is better than any player on the Colts, but I don't think the gap between him and say a DeForest Buckner is that massive. So I'll go with the collective talent of Indianapolis. And you're over under right here. Two players reaching double digit sacks in 2020 over under let's put the over under at one and a half. Just so uh, we, we can't, we can't, uh, um, back out of this with a push. So um, I'm going I'm to go with under. I don't think that if you get two players, double digit sacks, that's a heck of a defensive line. 
Um, I think that's the, that would be very difficult to reach, Mike, if you had two players at double digits. I went back and looked while we were talking, and it, the Frenian Mathis did it four times. But that's Frenian Mathis. Two, uh, right. two guys who were going to be in the talk for the Hall of Fame. And each time it was like 11, 11 and a half, 12 and 10. It's just hard to do because if one guy's – and again, if this group is as good as we think it should be, it could be Justin Houston with 12, Teray with 8, you know, Buckner with 7. If a, you know, a tackle gets 7, it's a, it's a Pro Bowl year. So I, I, I would say under just because it's not been done a lot by the Colts. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to go. I'm going to say two Colts end up with 10 sacks this year. Just because if Justin Houston is healthy, he's getting 10. I mean, he showed what he can do last year. And throughout his career, he shows he's a double-digit sack guy. And then that means I either need Buckner or Teray, one of those two, to reach 10. And I feel pretty good about that. Buckner's done it before in his career, I believe once. And he's usually close. He usually gets seven or eight. Um, and then I, I feel really good if I could go on the fan duel right now and put money on Trey getting 10 <laughs> sacks, I would feel really good about that. Ooh. Yeah. The bold moves on fan. Uh, can't you get on fan right now? What's that? You can't go on fan and get that kind and get that kind of a prop bet. I don't think I would find that specific. Also, I don't know what the COVID all the betting, like, do I get my money back if there's no season? Is that part of the bet that there is a season? You log on to tell me, because uh, who knows? I might have to go on and play, play some I might have myself. to take that back now that I think about it. What if some of these guys catch the virus exactly. and they have to miss a few games? Mm-hmm. Uh. going to lose some prop bets that way. <laughs> Next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast, we will break down the Colts linebackers, defensive backs, and special teams units. Looking forward to 2020, and uh, hopefully we are still on the path toward a 2020 season when we reconvene next week for another podcast. Well, we thank you for listening. Please rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. That'll go a long way in, uh, in getting us, uh, uh, well, in, in keeping us where we are. If you have any Colts or keeping NFL, me employed. exactly. That'd be nice. <laughs> we want to know here. If, you have, if you have any Colts or, un, or NFL related questions that you would like the blue zone crew to answer, you can submit those on Twitter at Colts blue zone. You can follow us all individually as well. Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 I am at Dave G underscore. Joe is at Street Joe. Plenty of fantasy advice from Joseph as well. He's been touting Cam Akers the past couple weeks. Not too strongly, though, because he doesn't want anybody to, uh, to, to <laughs> lock on to that mid-round steal you're getting for the Rams in your middle of your fantasy football drafts. So we do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we'll see you next time.